Welcome to the Run Your Mouth Podcast. It's great to have you here. And if you haven't already got your tickets, I got a bunch of live dates coming up, running an end-of-year special. Already sold out one night in New Hampshire. Chicago's close to being sold out. Uh, Denver, I just put that up, uh, and it, tickets are starting to move. I'm going down to Mexico, which is with the uh, Peddling Fiction Podcast guys, and uh, they got a whole thing lined up. Clint's going to be down there. The Lions of Liberty are going to be down there. Those are going to be some good shows. I also got Philadelphia. I got Maryland. I got Albany. I'm getting out there. I'm putting together shows. And uh, come hang out, you know, support support the dream, get some laughs in. Hopefully I get this thing on tape and we change everyone's mind about the uh, coronavirus. Uh, and before we get into a full episode here, I want to welcome uh, G Mike. I want to I want to check on you, see how you're doing out there. Hey Robert, how's everything, man? You learn you learn a bunch from that lawyer segment that they're going to hear later. Everyone listening is going to hear this later. Oh, guys, you are in for a treat. I mean, I feel I feel smarter. I I, I felt dumber because I understood nothing. Oh, uh, we might probably... we're, we're going to get in trouble for the cross talking. Yeah, All right, like, sorry. Like... You know, I wanted to incorporate you more on the episode, but. Uh, Sadly, the people before us ran late, and then the SDR show, they got a rule against G Mike talking you know in the what studio. They're doing in there right now? What are they doing? Oh, they're showing off penises, yeah, right? They sure yeah, sure. As well, a recovering gay man, this is tough for me. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so let's get into uh, some news topics that I wanted to talk about. First was uh, Ted Cruz went into absolute beast mode. Uh, I advise everybody to go watch this if you have any interest in sales or being a prosecutor. Oh my God, is this a brilliant display from both individuals? So first you've got this uh, CEO from TikTok. And if you want to know how you become the CEO of a multi-million dollar company that's going to rot kids' brains and feed information to the CCP, the answer is you got to look handsome as hell. Can you pull up a picture of this individual? Or you can even find the video of Ted Cruz grilling the CEO of TikTok because this is one handsome man. He's tall. He's got perfect hair. He's got the perfect amount of five o'clock shadow, and he's got nothing but bullshit coming out of his mouth. So here's what's going on. The government, they're concerned, and I don't know if you and I as libertarians necessarily would agree with uh, Ted Cruz's take here because, you know, our companies, they're doing the same shit. They're doing data collection. They're probably handing it over to the government. Yeah, show that picture. Is that even, oh, that's him? I mean, that's a handsome man. That almost looks that's like a handsome man. That's almost a better looking John Cena. I mean, not quite as ripped, but like a more masculine face. But I almost feel like at this uh, at this press hearing, he's a little bit leaned out, but, you know, even handsomer than the picture you're looking at right now. So anyways, Ted Cruz has him and uh, their claim is that they don't give over information to the CCP. However, in their uh, user guidelines, it says that they give over information to the parent company which they're basically pulling the Fed scam of what they did with SPV loans, where it's like, hey, listen, we're not giving money directly to buying bonds. We're giving it to the special purpose vehicle. And then the special purpose vehicle is doing that. So it would appear that TikTok is pulling the exact same move where they do nothing, but they, uh, you know, they, they collect all this data. They hand it right over to China. So that China's got a good understanding of our teenagers and all of our habits and our consumptions and whatever the fuck they else want to do to try and work together with our CIA to create a, uh, you know, a credit system uh, and imprison all of us to some sort of a landscape where we're all going to work in factories and, you know, be in concentration camps with Muslims because we're all going to be citizens of China at some point. But anyways, you got this uh, argument. And so Ted Cruz is going after him and he's just like, yes or no, are according to your guidelines, is these other companies considered 
uh, the parent company that you can share information with by the terms of your agreement. And he asked him like three times and then he finally gets a yes. Then he asked him about a different company, which is actually run by the old like head of propaganda for the CCP. And this guy will not give him an answer, but he doesn't give him an answer in the slickest, most handsomest way you've ever seen in your entire life. Ah, you've never seen somebody do such a good job. I've watched a lot of these congressional hearings and you've never seen a guy basically go, well, he he, won't, he just won't answer the question, but he does it in the slickest way. And Ted Cruz just, he catches him and he keeps asking him and he keeps grilling him where the, the lie that he tells here, it looks like uh, G Mike has the video up. And so for this part of it, we're probably going to want to skip to about three minutes in, but if you want to put it up, maybe we can catch the line. So what you want to do, there you go, and then with your corporate group. I'm asking a very simple question. Is ByteDance, your parent company, headquartered in Beijing, part of your corporate group? Yes or no, as you use the term in your privacy policy. Senator, um, I, I think it's important that I address the broader point in, in, your, in your statement. So are you willing to answer the question, yes or no? It is a yes or no question. Are they part of your corporate group or not? Yes, Senator, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So that's where you bust him the first time. You're explicitly stating that you may be sharing data with them, including biometric identifiers, including face prints, including voice prints. Is that correct? Uh, no, no. Let's Senator, skip ahead like uh, about two minutes. If we are to collect um, biometric. A quote, other affiliate of our corporate group as your privacy policy defines it. Yes or no? Senator, as, as I stated, that entity does not have any any um, relation to the TikTok entity. So I'll point out it took three questions to get you to answer about your parent. You finally answered yes, that you can share all your information. All right, you're going to stop. That's good enough. He basically keeps spinning the same exact line of that entity has no affiliation with this entity, but he won't answer the actual question, which is, is that considered a parent company? And the answer is yes. So he just keeps repeating the same lie that makes it sound like he's saying no without actually saying no. I'm going to give him, it's a new title, liar, most handsomest liar of the year. That's what we're going to do. All right. Fat Dave has a question for us, which is, Rob, any tips on getting uh, getting sent to sleep on the couch by the wife? Um, well, I don't have a wife and I don't even get along with women all that well. So I'm not sure that you want my advice, but my advice would be really embrace it. Make a night of it. Like get yourself some good snacks. Pretend like you're single fart on the couch all night, play video games till three in the fucking morning. Make it the best night of your entire fucking life, dude. What's the last show that you wanted to binge on the couch, but you couldn't because you were laying out there. Hey, you got work in the morning. You got to get yourself to sleep or whatever other things a dull woman would say to their husband, because otherwise you'd be a complete idiot, which, uh, you know, so just like get yourself, like start fucking camping out, get the whole tower gang together. Right. And, and, and just like hang out on air and just drink booze, smoke some weed, playing video games, just pretend like you're a single man. It's the best thing that ever happened to you. Or just start jerking off on your own couch. So she's like, hey, you're not jerking off on the couch, are you? That That's cheating. I told you that you were supposed to be in timeout and that you're just supposed to be sitting over there. I would do something like that. Gee, Mike, you think that's a winning strategy? You're in relationships. <laughs> I am sure in relationships. Uh, that's what I would do. I mean, when you had me at smoke weed. There you go. The winner, The winners have it. Show up on that couch, play some video games, smoke some weed, and jerk off on the cushions. All right, let's get back into the news. I'm getting derailed here. You know, I'm trying to solve the world's problems. I'm trying to talk to lawyers. I'm trying to talk about handsome men lying to Congress. And then you tell me about how you're going to be jerking off onto couches. 
Uh, let's take a look at some of the newest information that's come out on the vaccine as they're trying to give it to kids. So here are some random quotes that I want to uh, pull from a Wall Street Journal article that I was reading. Mr. G. Mike, if you can bring it up onto the screen, it is located in my notes right under newest news on giving the vaccine to kids. Uh, I'm going to read the first quote and uh, you can pull up the article at your own plate on your own pace. Uh, here's the first one. He said that while some children may be unlikely to get sick, many children who are black or other minorities will probably need the vaccine. Now, first, I just want to point out the language of we'll probably need the vaccine. All right. Well, if you're going to mandate it for all kids, we should probably have more information than probably. We should probably be working with some definitives. Oh, that's a different article. It's okay. Uh, the article, uh, it should be, yeah, it should be that article right there. Click that link, pull it up for the good fellers so they know that I'm just not making it up. So he says we'll probably need it, which I don't feel like that's good enough information. The other thing that I thought was interesting is if only minorities are going to need it because it, for some reason they're more at risk of COVID, why not just give it to the minorities? Why are we going to give it to everybody if some people need it? And then also, doesn't it seem a little bit weird that certain groups of individuals would need it more than others? Maybe a study on why the reason for that might be? Like, wouldn't you want to have a full understanding of these things before? Don't tell me it's safe and effective when you got a full understanding of it. If you're leaving things on the table that like some groups of people are going to need it more than others. And the extent by which we're confident of it is that they're probably going to need it. So we're going to give it to everybody because some groups of some subset within this group might need it. That doesn't sound like very strong reasoning here. Let's continue with some other quotes. Some members said they had concerns about myocarditis. I don't know if it's pronounced that way and other potential side effects, but wanted to ensure that the vaccine was available to those children who are at highest risk of becoming sick. So once again, if we want to make sure that this is only available for the kids at the highest risk of becoming sick, then make it available to them. Tell the doctors, if you got a kid that is at high risk of being sick, then we are going to vaccinate them. Why would you vaccinate every single kid on the basis that we want to make sure that it's available? Okay, if you want to make sure it's available for the at-risk ones, you'll have more product available for them if you're only making it available for the at-risk ones, right? Why the fuck would you give it to every single kid if you want to make sure that it's available for the at-risk? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And this is the policy, the reasoning that they're given for kids. Let's read one more of these because this one's probably the most flagrant. You ready? No cases of myocarditis were found in the children's study, though it was too small to detect the, the potential risk. Okay, so we've got one known side effect thus far from, uh, from you know, that, that took place in, you know, mostly the teenage males, uh, which is the myocarditis. Now, you ran a study that you want to prove that this is safe for kids and you're also saying that the study wasn't large enough to detect the one known side effect that we already know about. Then doesn't it sound like you didn't run a good enough study to say that this is safe for kids? If your own study wasn't even good enough by your language to detect the one side effect that you would predictably see, right? You would predict, hey, we're going to see some level of myocarditis and you don't even have a study good enough to detect any levels of that. And you're readily saying it, they'll lie to you. If they wanted to just like lie to you, they would just say, Hey, we didn't detect any levels. They wouldn't tell you that the study wasn't even good enough to see it. If it wasn't even good enough to see that, how can you possibly say that you've run a good enough study to give this to kids? Here's the last quote that I will read from you. It's from a different article. It's from the week. Uh, it is just below this in my notes, Mr. G Mike. FDA advisory committee on Tuesday made a nine bonding recommendation to authorize the Pfizer biotech coronavirus vaccine for children ages five to 11. 
How confident are they if they're making a non-binding recommendation? What is a non-binding recommendation? Like that's how confident you are. Hey, we're making a recommendation, but like we're, with backsies, like we might, we might, we might take this one back. It's like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Well, no, no, no. We're not sure that it's a good idea. Then why the fuck are you moving forward? And by the way, on some of these other ones, I've done a lot of homework. I've done a lot of digging. I'm going to go track down whatever fucking study. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll force Steven. Maybe I'll fly out there and I'll tell him, listen, I know I signed a contract for you to just do three episodes and that's all we were going to do with the coronavirus coverage. But now they're going to put this shit into kids. And that lawyer that I, that, well, for you, everyone listening on the audio, that's going to be coming on later on the episode. I wouldn't recut this and put it in a different order. You're getting it fresh the way it was uh, created. All right. I'm getting heated because they're uh, going to start vaccinating kids. And uh, I think if you're even reading, you know, the mainstream media, you're reading their shit and you just have a little bit of common sense. You can ask a couple crucial questions to be, hey, I'm not sure that this makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, and then here was another of what I thought was a shocking admission. This comes from an article from The Hill. And the quote was Pfizer says at press conference that when an escape of variant emerges, emerges, they would be able to have a new version of the vaccine ready in 100 days. Now, here's what I take issue with. One, they're admitting that the vaccine will not work for uh, variants. Now, this was a claim made by Stephen. Originally, they were saying, hey, one shot. Then they were saying, hey, you get a boost, you're still protected. Now they're finally saying, hey, there could be a variant that would emerge that would require new vaccination. Now, for those of you who are new to this program, haven't heard all the fantastic analysis of Stephen. So you're not aware of the fact that these are single protein spikes. And so they're not really designed to deal with these mutations. They can't handle the mutations. Now, that was something that they weren't really copying to. And now they're finally seemingly admitting to the fact, hey, the, or, that the current vaccine, the way it is, even if you get a booster, there could be a mutation in the future, right? That these vaccines will not protect you for. But guess what? Within 100 days. Now, how long do these spikes last? How helpful is it if you have a new vaccine within 100 days of us recognizing how long? Firstly, you got to wonder, how long will it take us before we recognize that the current vaccine is not working for whatever the current variant is? There's going to be a gap of time. Then how long do these spikes last? How long does it actually take? If you're saying 100 days, you're going to have to run some sort of a test, I assume. It sounds to me like every single time you figure out the formulation for the current virus that's active out there, it's always going to be coming out after the fact. It's always you're always going to be putting out that's our vaccine strategy. We're, we're on a treadmill where we're always behind the current variant and we're always claiming it's just because not enough people were compliant and not enough people have gotten their booster shots. This entire thing makes zero sense. I'm not that intelligent of a human being, and I'm simply asking these questions. If you're a doctor out there, you work for Pfizer, you want to come on the show and just explain to me how you can possibly have that we will recognize a breakthrough variant, right, soon enough that it's not working with the vaccines, that we can turn it around in 100 days and actually ever have a vaccine that can make any sort of an impact whatsoever. Please, I invite you on to the show. The other thing that's creepy as hell, and it is what I will be turning to my focus to next year, is everything that's going on in the world of ESG and uh, basically global warming and all this other bullshit. Mr. G. Mike, I've only got about 14 minutes and then I got to go do part of the problem. So we're going to fly through a couple articles here, but let's bring up these headlines and I'll just tell people a little bit about what's going on. So let's go to the top of this article and it is... Uh, leading oil exporter Saudi Arabia aims to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2060. 
Now, Saudi Arabia's wealth has been built off of the fact that it pulls oil out of the ground. That is their great asset. Now, I understand that they have been trying to diversify where they make their money and they've been selling shares against their oil, uh, which now I guess you probably see the scam of why they were selling shares against their oil. Uh, you know, they, they didn't want to share the profits. They wanted to take some of that money and get it the fuck out of oil because they knew that they were going to stop just using their own gold under the name of the fact that, uh, hey, there's fucking global warming. I mean, I guess 2060 is a, a far way away, a ways. But you look at this and you wonder, why would a country that's wealth is in oil try and turn to zero carbon emissions? That doesn't sound like it's going to be profitable. And then just a couple days wait, later, let's take a look at well um, this Reuters article and let's see what they were up to. So if you can pull from my notes, Mr. G Mike, it's the Reuters article two below this. Look at that. Saudi Arabia launches national infrastructure fund with BlackRock. And if you've been listening to the show, what is interesting about BlackRock, everybody? Well, they're, uh, they get the money from the fed. They got the most money under assets. They're the ones who are pushing this whole ESG thing. And they're the ones that I believe have investments that will never become profitable without government legislation. And so they are pushing woke culture upon the world, not because they give a shit about women, not because they give a shit about minorities, not because they give a shit about the government, but because they like profits. And guess what? Having to go compete in the market and having to figure out the market and having to come up with smart investments is not that easy. You know what is easy? I wouldn't call it easy. I mean, you got to become the $9 trillion player. But when you become the biggest player in the game, you start enacting legislations that will guarantee that you're profitable, shut down industries, and uh, basically just suck value out of the system so that poor people can starve. So that's what BlackRock's up to. And if you want to see a little bit more about this BlackRock story, here's another Wall Street Journal article uh, titled Larry Fink's Orders or Else BlackRock. Pull it up, G-Mike. BlackRock's wishes your command. Let's just read a little bit of this article, uh, and we can't. All right, everyone go read this article on your own terms, but what was really creepy specifically about this article uh, is that included in the reporting that will be required of companies, ESG investing essentially is that you have to be hitting certain corporate standards that I would say is fucking woke bullshit. Uh, in order to have investments that includes, are you promoting minorities? Are you promoting women? And are you being like compliant with fucking emission standards or whatever? Now, usually as a financial firm, you have to do your corporate filings and you have to make financial things available about your company. This seems to require a new level of compliance where you would have to like report your ESG scores. So if you're someone like BlackRock, and you're trying to move capital away from people that don't have these scores, you can more easily evaluate what you're going to be defunding. All right, let's take a quick second. And I want to plug one of our sponsors for today, which is Sheath Underwear. I'm actually wearing my sheath right now. We can get, we get a little sheath bulge up on the camera. We're not going to do that. I'll give myself a, a big old wedgie, though. How much of a wedgie do you think I can give me myself here? You think I can get over my tits? You think you like can rip bra? it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm really crunching some nuts right now. Look at that. Look at that. A little sheath dance. Sheath dance. Woo, woo, woo. All right. Gonna try and resettle myself here. You can zoom that camera out. Ooh boy, them nuts got squeezed by them sheath. But you guys see just how stretchy and unbelievable that fabric is. Do you have another underwear that you could comfortably pull over your own tits? I don't think so. 
That's the incredible nature of the sheath underwear. And I, I would show off this sheath bulge, but I know that the women in my audience would pass out right on the spot. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to spare the internet of looking at this sheath bulge. But if you're looking to wear the best underwear in all of underwear, you got to go to sheathunderwear.com. You use promo code RYM. You're going to get 20% off. This is smooth fabric. This is going to, this is what, this treats your nuts with respect. It's cooling. It keeps everything in place. And I'm sheath all the time. This is a better lifestyle. So join me, join the sheath revolution. They support us. Go support them. Sheath underwear, promo code RYM, you get 20% off. All right, let's take a couple comments. Let's start with Alex Hatch. She's calling me sexy. She likes it when I pull up my uh, my pants over my 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 tits. So thank you, Alex. Uh, Josh Dean is pointing out that it's wholly gay. A Forum has said, if breathing in high levels of CO2 is so deadly, why are we also being forced to wear masks? That is a good question. Roscoe. Roscoe has been a longtime listener. He says, hi, fire. Hi, back at you. Back at you. What's up? All right, let's go back. Let's go back up. Let's take one more. G Mike's in the comments himself just saying, hell yeah. Hell yeah, back at you. I know you can't talk from that room, but, you know, in future weeks, we'll get you and you're going to be real smooth on that board. You're going to be pulling up articles before I even want to mention them. And you're going to have the freedom to actually talk from that room. All right. Let's take a look at the, my next topic for the evening, which is uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Fauci. Uh, now, here's what's great is that he's going to get in trouble over doing shitty things to dogs. Uh, you know, if you're working with Fauci, you, you got to be furious. You got to be like, dude, I thought this guy it's like having a work partner who's got a gambling partner like problem. It's like they know how to make money, but they just fuck up with the gambling problem. Fauci's like that. He's getting away with it all. He's making everybody money, but he just can't not abuse dogs. He can't do it. When you're that evil, right? This is like every serial killer you've ever met. Like sometimes, well, sometimes they're real nice to their dogs, and sometimes they need something to get it out on, right? They can't just get out in the wild and say, so here's what he was doing to dogs. Firstly, beagles, which is like at least do it to an uglier dog. Like what do you got to go after fucking beagles for? Beagles are a beautiful animal. I'm not even a big dog person. And even I wouldn't put flesh eating, uh, flesh eating like uh, their heads into contraptions that they can be eaten by flesh eating bugs. And then, you know what else they did? They removed the vocal cords so that they wouldn't have to hear them bark and scream. And they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this. Uh, and that's not the only thing he did that was real creepy to animals. There was another article where basically they were uh, messing with monkeys brains so that they could make monkeys more afraid of things that they were afraid of so they would have monkeys in cages and then they'd put like these mechanical snakes and these mechanical like uh mice on the outside and here's what's wild about these experiments they haven't explained what the scientific reasoning was to them like i would understand like you would at least think they'd come forward like they have with the whole uh gain of function research and they go well listen this is really important because it could prevent other epidemics and sure we fucked up and it ended up causing an epidemic but you know, we were trying to prevent the epidemics. Now, what does scaring the shit out of monkeys accomplish? I mean, maybe there's some sort of a stated goal. Maybe it's bioweapons research. They want to figure out how to make scary things scarier. Or I, I don't know. Or what, what does abusing dogs do for you? What is putting a what is seeing how quickly a dog's face, a living dog's face get eaten by flesh eating bugs do for you? What is the purpose of these experiments? They have yet to divulge. Sadly, though, for us as a culture, they can shut down people's businesses, right? They can make all of our lives miserable. No one gets all that upset. But, you know, Fauci made the mistake of fucking with dogs and pets, which, you know, nobody's okay with. All right, let's watch this last video. And then I got one more topic and we are going to close out just on time. And for people horrified by these images, 
I'd like to remember, remind you that if you're over the age of 21, your Kratom just makes everything feel okay. Not that you would feel okay with doing shitty things to pets. Don't do shitty things to pets. Your Kratom. Was funding risky well, pause. I'm not ready yet for Gmite. Come on. You gotta flow with me here. I was I was gonna get a heated ad read for your Kratom, home of the six dollar kilo. Uh the stuff that when you got work and you got no interest in doing, you got a long car ride, you take one train wreck pill, and let me tell you, that thing's an upper like no other. So you go to Yo Kratom, home of the $6 kilo, and you can get yourself whole kilos of this stuff for $60. Not for people over the age of 21. I don't recommend it for daily use, but if you stack all that work you don't want to do, or you need you need a good amount of energy, you take one. You take more than one, and all of a sudden you start getting sleepy and shit. But you take one, whoo, that's a nice little ride. All right, let's take a look at this video. Play it for me, Mr. G. Mike. We only got five minutes on the clock, and this is an important one. COVID research in Wuhan was kicked up again this week when the NIH released a letter about that research, which showed that the subcontractor had not disclosed some results in a timely manner. Now, now some critics and analysts have seized on that to say you and others have misled the public about U.S. funding of this so-called gain-of-function research. The NIH says that's false. Our medical unit backs that up. But Senator Rand Paul stepped up that criticism in a new interview with Oxios on HBO. Let's play it. Dr. Fauci should be fired by the president. Absolutely. The thing is, is just for lack of judgment of nothing else, you know, he's probably never going to admit that he lied. He's going to continue to dissemble and try to work around the truth and massage the truth. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Senator Paul, but also explain what was the United States funding, what wasn't it funding, and why that's important. Well, I I obviously totally disagree with Senator Paul. He's absolutely incorrect. Neither I nor Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, lied or misled about what we've done. The framework under which we have guidance about the conduct of research that we fund, the funding at the Wuhan Institute was to be able to determine what is out there in the environment in bat viruses in China. And the research was very strictly under what we call a framework of oversight of the type of research. And under those conditions, which we've explained very, very clearly, does not constitute research of gain of function of concern. Pause. There are people who interpret it that way. Gain of function of concern. Has he ever been accused of gain of function of concern? What is this category of gain of function of concern? Maybe he's slipping here and he doesn't mean to say it, or maybe he's spinning a new lie where he's going to go, well, you know, when I was under oath, I was talking about gain of function. And sure, this was gain of function, but what Rand Paul was addressing when he was asking me that question, he really mean gain of function of concern. And we were never doing gain of function of concern. And then also this uh, a framework of guidance. And underneath that framework, it could never blah, 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 horseshit, go fuck yourself. Like, this is a new fucking lie, the gain of function of concern. I mean, how much longer? He's going to end up going down for the puppy thing, which is hilarious. All right, guys, I am out of time. We will be back next week. And uh, before I turn it over, I would like to also plug Yo Delta. I was at a wedding the other week and uh, I partied a little bit too much the night before. I was drinking till real late. And then I was at the wedding and I had people that, you know, I had to make conversation. I had to sit down at a table and I got out that Yo Delta pen. I didn't have to smell like weed. Oh, but boy, I I, I went for their uh, their hybrid. And it was perfect. It got me right in the zone. I couldn't have been friendlier. I got out on that dance floor. I was showing my booty. I was doing the sheath over my suit up to my nipples. That's that's my new dance floor move. 
Uh, so thank you to Yo Delta also for people over the age of 21 in states where it's legal or whatever thing I'm supposed to say so that, you know, the channel doesn't get pulled or whatever. Okay. Uh, that, and we've got tour dates, go to robbythefire.com slash shows in an all board, such sorts of cities with my end of year thing. Uh, and now I know you guys have already heard it, uh, but you know, uh, let's pretend like this show is goes in order and it's not edited in any capacity whatsoever. We're going to turn it over. Don't end that broadcast there. We're going to look at comments. Work with me here, G-Mike. Uh, we're going to turn it over to a lawyer with expert information on what you can do if you're being uh, uh, affected by health mandates. All right, let's take a couple of quick comments here, starting from the bottom. We got sweet poteets. I think it's proper English, Rob. All right, I'll take it. Now, a forum. So is Fauci going to lose his bonus this month? What will his punishment be, been, be for all this shit? I don't know. I think the best we're going to get out of him is that he's thrown out of his job and then he's discredited and then he gets to go on news shows with Hillary Clinton. Uh, that's what I assume. And then at some point he writes a book and, you know, he just kind of sails into the sunset, goes, gets to live with Harvey Epstein. But tonight, a lot of you out there, you've hit me up. You're actually being confronted with some of the uh, harsh ramifications of the mandates from the coronavirus. Me, I don't have kids. I don't work real jobs. I don't even like working in restaurants. I'm untouchable. I'm a clean man. You can't get me for nothing. But a lot of you guys, I understand you got real hardships out there. And so I tracked down Mr. Ryan, who's a real life lawyer. And uh, he's doing some incredible work to try and help you good fellows out. Uh, so Thank we're going to do a whole episode, get into the legal climate. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, your new organization? Yeah, so uh, my name, obviously, Ryan, and I am a, a lawyer from Arizona. I quit my job on October 8th to start a, a nonprofit organization. Our, uh, our status is pending right now. We for quitting the job. We're all for opting out over here. Yeah, it was uh, it was time. I, I, I had a, a wonderful uh, job that I was, I was working at and really, really enjoyed. It was my, my dream job out of law school and uh, decided to, to quit because I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't sleep at night, couldn't live with myself any longer. If I sat by and, and watched this happen to my, my country, I have kids, you know, someone's got to start fighting back and no one seems to be doing it. Well, I yell a whole bunch and eat sandwiches. So I feel like I'm doing my part and now you're putting in the legal work. So why don't we digest a little bit of uh, the climate of all the things that have gotten mandated? Uh, what's interesting to me is as far back as uh, a year and a half ago, when there were mandates about businesses being closed, that finally kind of fell fell away when it made it to the Supreme Court. And it was in that case, it was a religious. Uh, they basically said that it was discrimination, that you can't tell churches that they have to be closed while the mall is still open. Uh, because it's not an issue of of safety, essentially, from what from what I remember. Can you mm -hmm. describe to us some of the other mandates that are currently on the books right now, which include in New York City, I'm not allowed to be in a restaurant on a federal level. If you're a uh, uh, if you you know, if you're an employer and you have more than 100 employees, you have to require that they're vaccinated. Uh, I'm sure that there are other requirements in other states or even at the federal level. So maybe you could tell us a little bit firstly about what all the current like like straight up mandates that exist right now. And let's start with, uh, I guess, what they're claiming is their authority to make these mandates and whether or not, in your opinion, they even have a legal basis for what they're claiming. Yeah, so I, I think the, the best example to start with is, is California, specifically in um, it. In regard to, to Gavin Newsom's recent uh, executive order, basically 
mandating that as a condition of attending public or private schools for, for school-aged children, you have to um, be vaccinated. And it, that really was, was the last straw for me uh, for a number of reasons. But these are, that's just an example of, of um, similar mandates that are being adopted all, all across the country. I mean, you're talking about places that are requiring vaccinations for, for entering businesses in, in places like New York City. And um, I mean, I, I understand that, that there are NBA players right now that are being prevented from actually participating in, in games in New York and in other places uh, that have these different mandates in place for, for vaccinations for their, their employees and, and, and such. So this is not a, an issue that's limited to government. This is a, an employer-based issue as well. A lot of these employers, even though they, they were responding, at least they, they claim to be responding in a, in a lot of ways to Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for, for OSHA that happened in early October, or I believe late September, um, either way, they were doing this ahead of that time. And actually th this was just cover for them to, to have in, in response to you know, criticism from their employees. And, and I, I believe that at least what's happening in our country right now is basically a, a redistribution of opportunity. And I think that's why it's so important for all of us to, to understand that we need to fight back because if we don't, uh, all of the power in this, this country right now is shifting towards large corporate entities and towards large government agencies. And it's shifting away from, from, from the little man. Because if you're, you're a mom and pop shop, you can't absorb the cost of, of you know, the, the contemplated uh, Biden administration OSHA requirement. Because these vaccine um, tests, if, you, if you're, let's say, a, a, own a roofing company with, with 300 or so employees, doesn't mean you're, you're rich or anything, but you, you have, you know, a, a good business. And here you're saying to them now, you know, the, this huge group of employees who are largely going to be unvaccinated because of, of their personal beliefs with respect to their religion, with respect to their, their choice just generally, um, you're going to have to pay 150 bucks a week to test these individuals. Because that's, that's the, the alternative to the, the OSHA mandate, which has not yet gone into effect, and which is why you haven't seen a whole bunch of, of, of lawsuits oh. stemming from that conversation. So but why don't we start though? Happening. I, I agree with you hundred percent. We need a fight. And I do think that this is a, a big moment for freedom. And I agree mm -hmm. with you hundred percent that these are scary times and every, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent that there's a lot of risk for everybody and everyone needs to kind of step up and uh, be a little bit defiant right now because we're giving over too many, too much authority to people that are really, they're not good actors, but let's take Correct. a look from a legal standpoint so can you explain I, I, some of these mandates and at least what they claim as being their authority to impose these mandates? Yeah, so there, there is actually some, some authority to, to impose mandates relative to health. And so the, the states specifically have um, what's called uh, the, the police power, which is reserved to them by the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution. And so that gives them authority, broadly speaking, to protect uh, the, the public health and safety of the citizenry in, in, that they're in charge of, essentially. And so, you know, there, there have been cases in, in the past, I believe the case's name is, is Jacobson, is the big reference everyone keeps pointing to and saying, hey, you know, vaccine mandates were, were upheld by the Supreme Court in the early 1900s because, you know, in this case. And uh, 
Was that polio? Do I have that right? That that was the polio vaccine or am I? Yeah, it was something very, very uh, extreme. It, uh, maybe smallpox. If someone wants oh, to Oh, maybe it was what. smallpox. Okay. Yeah, but it was it was something that, that presented like a clear and present danger. And even then, if you actually read the facts of the case, it's very interesting. People don't seem to realize that, you know, Supreme Court precedents are, are applicable to the extent that the circumstances are, are the same. At least that's the idea that we're dealing with here. And so because in that case, you know, the, the fine basically that the whole penalty of the situation was if you refused, you were fined five dollars. Right. Something like that. So, so basically, inflation terms, what is that today? Yeah, I, I don't even know, but I, I don't think it's relevant. It's a one time small fee as opposed to barring you from participating in society. Like these are it, okay. they're completely, you know, in opposite in opposite uh, situation. Now, but it's is just there, not applicable. Is there a distinction, though? Because so look, look, your argument against the Jacobson case, I guess there would be two. Right. The first would be, hey, that was a more extreme circumstance. And so, yes, the authority was given in extreme circumstances, but this is an extreme circumstances. That would be argument one. Argument two would be the mandate, right? It said, yes, you can have a mandate and that there could be a penalty, but we need to have a penalty that's in line with what that penalty was, right? So in other words, it didn't give you broad authority to say, hey, we can impose a mandate and then you can go to jail if you don't comply with our mandate. Or maybe, right. I, I'm, I'm working off your information. I know nothing about the Jacobson case, but if I'm understanding you correctly, it's a two-part argument. First one is, is this is, is this on par in terms of danger with that case? And two, um, was the authority to mandate with any penalty or with the specific penalty that was kind of on par, right? So mm -hmm. do I have you right that it, that's kind of the, the two arguments of as to why the Jacobson would not apply here? Yeah. So one, as you say, the the seriousness of of the disease is correct. They're they're not analogous. And then two, as you say again, um, you know the, the the factual circumstances are very different from from our, our current situation. So yeah. In addressing the first one, and I, I'm I'm telling you, I'm just being straightforward. I've not done my homework. I've just seen this quoted in uh, random articles. Uh, and it seems like what they try and claim from uh, the Jacobson case is that essentially the Supreme Court backed up that the uh, states or government at large does have the authority to do mandates for like health reasons. Now, they use kind of that broad terminology of just that they have the authority that if it's some sort of a health related situation, they don't seem to actually quantify how dangerous of a situation which I would agree with you that I would say, hey, we need we need to have strict terms on this, because if the government's going to come in and tell me I like, you know, I, I can't sleep on a, on a pillow because it's got a point zero 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 one percent risk that the fabric gets stuck in my ear. You know what I mean? Like, like, at what point is it such a negligible risk factor that government shouldn't be able to like everything at the end of the day has some sort of a health risk associated. You could say mm -hmm. government should step in and mandate against soda because there's significant health risk, you know, relative to drinking water. If you're drinking soda, you know, three glasses a day and you and I would go, well, we don't want government to mandate at all. But if you go with a very mm -hmm. broad definition of health risk, you know, basically anything can fall into that category. According to your understanding of the Jacobson case, was there some sort of a uh, like, is there language or a clause in there that it's got to be like extreme circumstance or like extreme threats? You know, I'm, I'm not, it's been a while since I've read that case. I'm not exactly familiar with the, the clauses in there, so I can't answer that question right now. 
And, and also, before we go on, Robbie, I think it's important to, to state uh, early on that, that what I'm doing is, is disclosing the the arguments that I've come up with, with in response to um, you know a, a lot of what I've seen. And these are what I'm, I'm planning on using. This is not legal advice. I, I do need to say that because sometimes when you, when you come out and do things like this, and I've had conversations with, with different lawyers who've taken these types of stands before, they come after your license. So I need to make sure that I communicate that well. So this is not legal advice. Uh, I don't have any plaintiffs right now that, that I represent, but I'm planning on, on building up a team of attorneys very soon to, to do that. It's all all funding pending, which is what I'm hoping we can help, you know, talk about here a bit today too. All right. So let's start speaking to the arguments that you do have. So essentially sure. government has said that there's a risk to our health. And because of this risk of our health mandates are required, the mandates that we've seen thus far, the biggest one uh, is coming from the federal government saying that employers are, if you've got a hundred employees or more, you've pointed to the California case of Newsom, that uh, kids are not going to be allowed in school unless they're vaccinated. I live in New York. You're not allowed in restaurants unless you're vaccinated. And then there's still all sorts of areas like planes. You got to wear a mask. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of mandates. And I would still say this is not going to be the end of the mandates. They keep trying to see how much pressure they have to apply in order to get the compliance that they're looking for. So this is kind of the next stage. I would, I think airlines, it's going to be coming soon. So you've got a fight plan for people. And so why don't we start with uh, some of the legal arguments that you're going to try and put forward to say that what's going on here is absolutely against the law. Yeah, so I, I want to start um, basically by introducing my, my nonprofit, which is status pending still. We, we should have that sometime very soon. I anticipate within the next week or so. It's called The Gavel Project. You can check us out at thegavelproject.com, learn more there. Um, we basically, I, I've been working on this for a while. Uh, I've been actually drafting these arguments since I would say very early on in the pandemic because I'm a you know liberty-minded person that didn't want to be stuck finishing law school in my garage like that was that was nonsense to me I, I felt like we should be out doing things and, and enjoying our lives as opposed to being scared of, of a threat that really statistically even back then was kind of just questionable based on what we were seeing so you know for me I came up with this argument essentially because of, of my uh, my passion and my capabilities as someone who, who's very, Robbie, I, I like listening to you because you have, um, you're very open about having ADD. I, I also have ADD. And despite the many uh, curses of, of having ADD, like losing your, your keys on a constant basis and finding them, you know, 20 minutes later, wherever you put them down, uh, there, there are blessings. One of those blessings really is the capacity to be creative and come up with, uh, you know, unique approaches to solving complex problems. And so, I have a gift for that. And I realized that basically by listening to, to people like Ben Shapiro and listening to people like, um, you know, Dave and like, like yourself, just, just have conversations about what was happening uh, in society. They were essentially, the, the Biden administration is trying to compel a political orthodoxy. And they're trying to, to compel individuals to accept a certain set of ideals, political ideals, by coercing them to do so, by barring them from participating in society, right? That's what you're experiencing when you can't go get a sandwich. You basically are being told that as a condition of entering society, you have to make permanent changes to your body. And this has never been you know, done before on such a wide basis without providing justification. And so, so the, the First Amendment, sorry? I guess just before we get into uh, providing the justifications, because it's a very interesting approach, their argument would be, uh, is that we're doing this. This is not like, this is a hundred percent, not about politics. 
We hate that people are making this political. All of the health organization and scientists and medical companies are on our side. And we've, we've determined our health agencies, our experts in the health agencies have made the determination that the best policy for our country is that everybody, including kids now get vaccinated. And so what we're doing is we're enforcing the guidance that we've gotten from the health agencies. So based off of that, that A, they're claiming that it's a health claim and B, they're going to claim that they have the support from, you know, our government health agencies. So how do you present that as being a political opinion as they would say that the original source is not them, it's the health agencies? Well, I, I think, Rob, you, you can actually speak to this issue. I've heard you do it before in the past when you're talking about the, the reasoning being used to justify the policies being put in place, especially with these, these mask mandates. And I mean, you've, I think it's uh, Stephen, is, is that the data guy you he's have the on constantly? Absolutely. Yeah, he's the man. He's, he's brilliant, right? And, and, and he, like, you, you can see definitively that what they're, they're peddling is just nonsense. Like, this, they have no justification for the, the, the extreme measures they're trying to, to take right now. And um, the reason the First Amendment exists is to protect individuals from being compelled to accept particular ideals and, and so the then, ideals that they're trying to. So really, the first part of the claim, though, is that the evidence that this is good health policy is so poor, you would have to categorize this as um, as political policy and not health policy. And yes. I would uh, from the work I've done on this show alone as a non-lawyer, non-scientist, just reader of the news and caller of bullshit, there's going to be a lot of information to support that the health policy, right, is, 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 in other words, that they're not working with good health policy. Correct. Okay. But now, even if we make the proof that the, like, you know, that these health organizations are not making good or honest recommendations, the just based off of like the structure where the politicians are working off the right, at least on paper, do I think Biden has called up these organizations and said, Hey, here's what I'm looking for. I think we've got pretty good proof that that's what happened with the we booster do. shots, right? Where basically he looked to the CDC and said, we're looking to make like, what does that mean? We're looking to make a recommendation proof. like that. What? That's what happened. Oh, wow. That gets trippy when you hear yourself. Uh, what does that mean that you're looking for the recommendation? And then they didn't make the recommendation. And then the head of the CDC basically overruled the whole thing and said, nope, we're going with booster shots. Right. So I'm on your side here. I agree 100 percent. Oh, yeah. This is not good science. This is about compliance. Right. But within our legal structure, I do also understand that, like, these guys are good at kind of putting this together in a way where they're going to get away with it. And so their claim is going to be, hey, we're listening to the health agencies and this is the recommendation of the health agencies. So how do you unwind sure. that structure to say that what they're doing is really um, that uh, like, how do you prove, I guess, that it's about I mean, B just said it's compliance, not science. I agree with you. Right. It is about compliance and not science. Right. But how do we prove that this is them pushing a political philosophy, which is essentially listen to the Democratic Party? Right. Versus like, like I, I, I'm, I'm handing it back to you. How do you mm -hmm. actually a prove that or b peg peg the policy to the fact that it's not health related when that's their big claim and that's what they're hiding behind? Yeah. So the great the great thing about the argument that I've come up with is that it actually permits you as as the citizen to force the government to prove and actually to justify its own actions. So basically. Okay. 
the argument that, that I've come up with is, is very simple. It, it is that you as an individual, as a citizen, as a business, as an entity um, with broad First Amendment protections, generally speaking, have the right to refuse to comply with COVID-19 mandates, whether they be you know, vaccination or mask mandates, because the act of refusing to comply is what's called expressive conduct, which is protected by the First Amendment of, of the United States Constitution. And so basically by, by raising this argument, you're going to have a, a burden shifting effect procedurally that's going to force the government to, to justify its own actions, as opposed to uh, many of the lawsuits that are being brought right now by different organizations and, and the, the commentary out there about, um, there seems to be, Rob, I think what's happening is, is there's, a, there's a miss, people are misunderstanding um, how the, the structure of our government is, is working. Basically, they're, they're looking, at least a lot of lawyers are so narrow-minded, they don't think outside of the box a lot of the time. So they're right. looking at like OSHA's authority to act. What, what, are, what is the, the grant of authority to OSHA uh, from Congress to, to take certain actions relative to employment, health and safety, right? They're looking at those sorts of things. They're not thinking about the constitution as, as being a barrier to the government acting generally. One of the reasons that this, this argument is, is beneficial is it actually forces the government to, to justify one in, in the first prong of the analysis that it actually has the authority to act. So OSHA in particular would have to point to the constitution and say, all right, where, where from this, this foundational you know, level, which, which is where everything starts and then actually is the base of our legal structure, do they get their authority to act? And under the, the executive's authority under Article 2, there, there is no authority to control public health and safety. It, it's just not there. And so if you look to um, the Constitution elsewhere, though, you, you do have the Tenth Amendment. And the Tenth Amendment is granting specifically uh, police powers to the state so that they can control uh, what's happening within their own borders. That's why when you are, um, let's say, in Arizona, the, the local policies are very different than they are if you are in, in California. That's why you don't have mask mandates like here in Phoenix as opposed to LA sort of thing. Like those, when you saw that happening throughout the country during the pandemic, that's the reason why, because they were locally governed. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. I, it's a brilliant maneuver. If I understand you correctly, what you say is I make a declaration. Hey, this is a freedom of speech issue, and I don't agree with your health analysis, and I'm expressing my freedom of speech by not complying with what you're mm -hmm. doing, which is not actual science or health. Now, the burden of proof is on them to prove that, no, this is a science and health issue, and here's the science and health that we have. and you and I, if you started to actually work through that, right, you would go, this is not science and health. Now, the next yeah, well, issue I, I would see you running into, I, I'll pause there if you wanted to specifically, if you specifically add something on that. Well, it's actually that there, there's a specific constitutional structure that's outlined by the Supreme Court that you have to, to, the government has to satisfy. So it's not just justifying its own authority to act. Because on a state level, you could conceivably say, yeah, well, uh, Gavin Newsom does have authority to act relative to public safety because that is what states traditionally have had the you know constitutional authority to do, and that's why the Jacobson case, for example, was, was uh, legitimate. But you know there there are a number of reasons that Jacobson, in my opinion, has actually been overruled, stemming from from Roe and, and from um, or Begefeld, and, and we can talk about that later. But but stemming, going back to your question. Uh, 
you, you have to, to satisfy the, these different prongs of analysis. So it's not only that you have constitutionally authority to act, it actually has to, to demonstrate they have a, a, what's called important government, government interest. And the action has to, to further that interest or to um, you know, be a, a means to, towards that end, essentially. And so I would say that, sure, your adoption of certain health measures could theoretically, I would even concede that in, in argument, uh, for, further that interest. But even then, it's like you have to justify it. You have to show, like we're talking about statistically, uh, with evidence that what you're doing actually furthers that interest and, and, and has uh, benefits towards that end. And then as well, you have to show that any incidental restriction on the speech. So let's say the policy, for example, um, is uh, mask mandates, right? They have to, to, to show that the means are narrowly tailored, but also that any incidental restriction on your right to refuse to wear a mask, right? That, that's what you're, you have the right to do. That's the act of refusing. That's actually the protected act, the expressive conduct. By doing that, um, by incidentally restricting your capacity to do, to do that and actually refuse to comply with these mandates, they, they need to show that the restriction is as narrowly tailored as possible. So essentially, there are, there are, no, um, there are no other conceivable government means that, or, or possible ways to, to solve the same problem, which is, which is the, the fourth prong of the analysis. They actually have to show that things like, um, let's say, ivermectin, or things like other sorts of, of therapeutics um, do not exist essentially because there are no other options available to treat this problem. So essentially they, they can never meet that, that standard of proof. I mean, you could think of a million different ways based on expert testimony, which is what I plan to do with my team uh, to show that this is, this is all nonsense. They actually have to prove their case. They just can't do it. That's all my right. opinion, so. <laughs> no, I think there's uh, I, I love this angle and uh, I, I hope that you're the guy who breaks the entire thing and you restore freedom to our country. Uh, but in, in reading some things, not that I don't think you're in for a fair fight. And so I think, no, I'm not. and so here's some of the other bullshit that I think you're going to confront. And so I'm curious what, what tricks you got up in, uh, up your sleeve to confront this bullshit. Okay. Um, so the first is on, on the health angle I saw in the Texas case, um, I read this a couple months ago, but someone brought the Texas case and said, this is an experimental vaccine. If you're tying my employment into whether or not I'll take an experimental vaccine, this is a violation of the Nuremberg Code or the Nuremberg trial. I don't know. I think it's the Nuremberg Code, right? And mm -hmm. the judge, from my memory, he pulled a uh, real weasel move. And he basically said that since this was given emergency authority by this other agency, like it's not considered experimental. But that other person, basically, when they said like, hey, we're, we're making this, uh, they understood that it was experimental. They just said it's emergency authority. So it was like this double loop of this person saying, hey, this doesn't have full authority. It's emergency authority and therefore it's experimental. And then a judge saying, well, we have the authority to do this because it's not considered uh, like experimental in normal terms because it does have the authority. It's like this fucking feedback loop of self yeah, yeah. stupidity where the guy doesn't actually confront the argument. So your argument right now is basically saying um, you need good evidence of the policies working in order to prove that this is for health reasons. Right. But then they're just going to self self-reference. Well, it's coming from the health authorities. And then they're mm -hmm. going to build off that where what you're saying is, well, is there any other recourse that we could be using? And they would say, well, in cases of emergency, 
right? We have to go with what we can and we have to enforce it because that's the only possible option. Like that's what they're going to say is that we, in other words, even if it turns out that this wasn't the only course of action or mm -hmm. maybe we got to do something else in a case of an emergency, we have to go with what we know. We have to go with what's being handed us from the health authorities. And the only way to find out that this, that the, like the only way to kind of put a plan into action because they believe in centralized government. You and I don't. And you and I believe that there's a stupidity to centralized Correct. authority trying to come up with one approach. And it's because they're dumb. They don't know what's best for everybody. They can't possibly digest all this information. And it's going to be corrupted. You and I know this. And we know that it's been corrupted mm -hmm. by fucking Fauci and the, the, the big, you know, big fucking farm that wants to profit off its vaccines. But they well, this is, this is no different, Rob. Yeah. This is this situation. I think people need to wake up and realize that what we're what we're experiencing right now is no different than what happened in it with the Affordable Care Act, as far as big picture goes. In that in, in that instance, you had basically um, there there are a few little distinctions, but really it, it's the same. So you had the government mandating people acquire a commodity, right? That that was that was health insurance. In this instance, you have the government mandating that people acquire commodity. They're not having to buy it per se, but the, the situation is the same because at the end of the day, the interest is being paid to a group of people, you know, that is now having their, their product mandated by the government for everyone to consume. So there's a huge profit shift going to these big pharma companies. And it's the same thing as what happened with single payer premiums going to the insurance companies. Basically, it, it, it's a, a shift uh, of, you know, all of these these politicians are essentially having their um, their bank accounts stuffed by these big pharma companies in order to to ignore these facts, and it's just disgusting to me. I can't sit back and watch it anymore. It's it's a redistribution of wealth. The same thing that happened with the insurance companies, and, I, and we know that you know single payer premiums went up something like 97%. I, I saw in one study. Uh, so we know that this is a, a revenue kicker for them. That's all this is. It just followed money. Disgusting. Okay. So going back to the specific arguments that you're going to try and utilize to take this down. So one of the other ones that you had mentioned uh, previously was that there's a, also a burden of proof that the health mandates are working and that no other approach would work. So your example was, hey, you can't tell me I have to take the vaccine if it could be that, you know, ivermectin would work just as well. And the burden on pr of proof is almost on them to prove that ivermectin doesn't work as well. And what they have is the only approach, right? Yeah, it, it's basically that there, it, there's the incidental restriction that the court says must not be any greater than essential to achieve okay. the government purpose. So that that's sort of the language. In, in this case, the, 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 the clearest argument would be I have already had mm -hmm. Corona for the next six months. They, their policy is 100% discriminatory against me as mm -hmm. they are exerting authority that has no basis in science whatsoever. And so therefore they don't have the authority to do it because it's a, like you said, Correct. it's on them that if there's anything that's less burdensome, right? So in this case, the, like the, the, the less burdensome for me is not to get a vaccine I don't need. And there's no science for them to possibly suggest that I do need it. So outside of that example, which is, you know, incredible, incredibly clear cut, yes. how do you get around the following two questions? One, their claim of, well, it would have been worse, right? So like, you know, it, it, we're lucky that we follow these things. And so I know, like, in other words, uh, I mean, you can always claim that things would have been worse and hey, there's the unknown. And let me tell you, we've saved a lot of lives here. Uh, and so your claim is kind of, will prove to me that 
it actually is better. The burden of proof was on you that it should be better and that these other things couldn't have done as much. And I mm. think that they always go, well, it would have been worse. So how do you kind of really shift that burden on them? You know, it seems to me like you're, you're suggesting that the burden of proof is on them that not only did their policy work, but that it was better than the alternative. And I just haven't seen government held to that standard in regards to Corona and, or even mention that that should be the way that this is approached in any capacity. So I'm not saying that the law is not on your side here. It just seems to be an application. I haven't even heard anyone like try and mention that. Yeah. I just, I don't think anyone's even thought of this yet. And, and that's, that's just the, my understanding of it. And, and I'm confident in, in this argument. I know a lot of people are going to be questioning whether or not this is legitimate, but it actually, I, I've sent it to, you know, a numerous uh, attorneys that, that, that I, I, I respect for review and, and had gotten great feedback. And, and I actually have a team of attorneys right now working on this argument and bolstering it. And it does work. And I'm very confident in my capacity to, to pull this off. I know oh, yeah. I'm not a courtroom litigator. It's not my strength. I'm a, I'm, you know, first year oh, me and coach. lawyer, essentially. I'll get in there and yell <laughs> so, at them. What's that? I'll get in there and yell at them. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll call you up. We, I mean, you're essentially a witness on this by now. I mean, you're an expert, you know, more know than the average that. person does. And if we can establish that based on your, your personal research, I, I mean, my Mark Levin impression in your honor, if you look at this evidence, it demands an answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they love that. Yeah. All right. Um. So what are some, are there any other, is that the core arguments or were there any other arguments that you're looking to put forward to help people out here? Well, there, there are, are so many different arguments that I've come up with, um, not only that, that are relate to the constitution, but also in, in state contract and tort law. One of the objectives of, of the organization is going to be helping uh, children essentially uh, be, I want to end all COVID-19 mandates for government mandates for kids that, that are impacting kids right now. If you're, if you're putting masks on kids, you're stunting their development. I mean, I, if you put kittens in a dark room for 23 hours a day and expose them to sunlight for one hour a day, they're going to have developmental issues you know, with their sight. If, if you put masks on kids all day and have them learn uh, in that environment where they can't see what's, what's happening with people's mouths, it's like you're stunting their development. You're doing it intentionally. So I'm going after those people. I come up with arguments that actually can, can sue school board members individually in their personal capacities, and I'm planning on doing so. Nice. I'm going after uh, universities across the country. I'm actually, I want to plug, I'm looking for, for students who are disenrolled from UVA the University of Virginia, or if you, you are being discriminated against by uh, UCLA right now, I want you to reach out to my team on my website, thegavelproject.com. Uh, there's going to be a contact me page going up in the next couple of days that will allow you to, to reach out to us as plaintiffs. So please so share this is, with whoever you know. The idea is to try and actually hold the uh, people that have inflicted this pain on other individuals financially li financially liable which would include, in the I guess, correct. Yeah. So I guess that would include companies prior to the government mandates, right? Basically anyone who has inflicted these mandates without governmental authority, um, potentially has liability for pain inflicted or stunted growth, or I don't know what other damages you can come up with. Uh, but so clear cut cases, like you would say is the, uh, development or missed education or, um, being forced out of a job prior to the mandate by your employer. Well, 
it, it depends on where you are. I don't want to speak too broadly to this, Rob. This is a lot of these issues are state specific. So, for example, um, in Arizona, if you're an employee and your employer changed the terms of your employment agreement with with you by requiring now that you have a, a vaccination as a term of your ongoing employment, uh, there are a lot of attorneys that just very lazily advise their clients here for some reason that at will employment status means that you can just fire your employees for any reason and you know get a, get away with it. But that's actually not the case here. You actually as an employer uh, in Arizona, ha have to respect what are called at-will um, or in-at-will employment contracts. You have to respect these things called uh, implied contract provisions, essentially. They're implied terms of these employment contracts that arise based on the circumstances surrounding the hiring of the employee. So essentially, if you make some sort of representation that uh, the employee finds to be some sort of promise or commitment by the employer, this is a reasonableness question, the judge is going to look at those circumstances and say, yeah, you know what, uh, that your health insurance, for example, is a good example. It, it's not, it doesn't need to be written down for you to know that your employer can't just unilaterally remove your health insurance without providing you some sort of compensation or consideration in exchange for that. You can't just unilaterally modify contracts where, you know, you have material terms. In a lot of these cases, these employers didn't realize that if you required certain vaccinations but didn't require others, you're enumerating specifically what it is that are, are you know, conditions of employment there. So by leaving these out and as the drafter of the contract, you actually should have foreseen that. And now you've breached the contract. And if you fired someone because they, they have been uh, they refuse to comply with your, your COVID mandates. You've actually exposed yourself unwittingly to a lot of liability. And there, I mean, there are going to be so many lawsuits coming out of this stuff that, that, you know, across the country. So just to simplify, if I understand you correctly, this is very interesting. So if I worked at a job for a very long time uh, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they told me one day you have to wear a mask to work here, I refused to wear a mask and then they fired me for it. What you're saying is my original employment agreement had no implication of the fact that, you know, part of the terms of my employment was wearing a mask. They introduced that after the fact, which would be like coming to me and saying, hey, your employment is now at twelve dollars. Well, we negotiated 15. You know what I mean? It's like they're changing the terms of your employment without having right. a conversation and then firing you for wrongfully changing the terms. And I guess prior to if there were specific laws telling them that they had to require wearing a mask, then that was their decision to enact mm -hmm. that policy, which is actually in violation of an, like, you know, standard employment agreements. Yeah. So like employers are obviously going to be pointing to these, these types of laws that are in place that are requiring them to take certain actions, but it's like at the same time, and I'm not hundred percent sure about this, this process because it really hasn't been the focus of my, my litigation yet, but at some point it's like, what, what liability do you have for your actions that are clearly illegal? Like if you think that you can just coerce people into to, you know, making a permanent change to their body as a term of ongoing employment, you're, you're out of your mind. Like that's, think about the implications of this. I mean, you're, you're talking about a society now where your employer very easily to, to reduce their healthcare premiums for their, their employees could just mandate that all their employees lose 50 pounds or get fired. Like nope. That's literally the precedent you're setting. Scott Schultz is pointing out if uh, Mr. G Mike, if you can pull it onto the screen, I don't know. Scott Schultz might be a lawyer or just another person with the Jewish last name who likes to pretend like he's a lawyer. I can't tell you. 
He says, yeah, but Rob, there's always clause in employment contracts that read, we can change anything without notice. And I'm going to assume that that's one of those things that they put in contracts, but it has to be somewhat within reason, or it's like a negligible clause where they can say, hey, we can harm you even if we're negligent, but it never holds up in court. So I'll hand it back to the actual lawyer to debunk what Scott Schultz is putting on the screen for us. Well, Scott, I mean, Scott, you actually can can certainly limit your um, or reserve your right to change provisions in things like employment handbooks, which also have binding implications in certain circumstances. Uh, so that that certainly can be a thing. But a lot of these employers just, just simply didn't do that. Uh, and, and a lot of the times these provisions, these implied in fact provisions of these contracts, um, these, these employment contracts are, are not written down. That's why they're implied in fact provisions. So you basically, you're looking at the circumstances to create contract terms based on the statements and representations of the parties. And um, any sort of thing that the court thinks would be a representation or a commitment by the employer is gonna be one of those terms that you can legally enforce. At least in states like Arizona, I believe this is also true in Virginia, Illinois, uh, New York. This, there was a, a lawyer that I believe brought this case against one of the hospitals, the tri-state hospitals, uh, back at the end of September, um, and he was saying that, that the same thing I'm saying. But I think that his complaint was just too too long, and it was um, it was a lot of allegations that, that were very politically charged. It's like when you're, if you're doing this, you need to do it in a very strategic way and you need to do it uh, in a way that, they, that can win without being, you know, my goal in this endeavor really in starting this endeavor is to, to try and convince people on the left side of the aisle that there are many reasons that someone would want to preserve the right to choose what to do with his or her body. And a lot of that has to do with, with beliefs that liberals traditionally have, have endorsed. And I just want my daughter to grow up in a world where, you know, I, I, I have a, a three-year-old, uh, almost three-year-old girl, and my wife is pregnant. She's almost seven months pregnant. And despite this, I decided to, to leave my job and to do this because I believe so, so profoundly that what is happening to our country is, is a revolution. Is, and I've stopped eating in restaurants and bars. So we've all made sacrifices. <laughs> it's, it's so, it's like the thing that it really gets me um, going. is like, if you think about what's happening with, with school vaccine mandates, you're telling me now that you're, you're, if you're a kid in the inner city and in, let's say downtown LA, right? Life isn't necessarily that great for you. you. You've got a lot of cards stacked against you in life. You're from poor neighborhood, maybe. Your, your parents perhaps don't, you know, aren't around all that much because they're using drugs and all that. And now you're telling me that as a condition of, of participating in society, meaning getting an education and becoming a, just a, a valuable member of society, for you to, to have an opportunity to even su succeed, I mean, that's, Education is how you move up in the world so many times. That's the American dream is to become educated and, and make something of your life. If you're telling me that you're going to tie that, you know, just the entrance, the barrier to entrance to society to getting, making a permanent change to your body that's untested. I mean, really, if you think about it, I think the, the longest or the shortest amount of time we've ever mandated a vaccination for children in this country as part of education is like 12 and a half years of research, after 12 and a half years of research to show that it's safe. Like this is, people, 2020 just happened. Like these vaccines were just made. We're just, we're testing them on kids now. Why are we talking about mandating them for kids? All right, so 
two last questions for you. Uh, yeah. The first one is, so these companies now that uh, are forcing people out of their jobs unless they comply, uh, so who ultimately holds the responsibility for that? Like if you're suing a company for forcing a guy out of his job because he didn't want to get a vaccine and it's yeah. after this mandate. So who holds the liability there if it turns out that, you know, government couldn't make like, is that then a suit against the federal government? Or is that still a suit against that individual employer for basically complying with a government policy that the government didn't have authority to to initiate? Well, in my mind, you basically have a, a number of suits that would that would occur. It would be first to, to, to declare the government action to be illegal. And then um, and, and this is something that I'm speculating to. I'd have to do actual re research on the procedural implications of all of this and make sure that it lines up. But I would imagine that you would have basically um, the employee suing the employer then after the fact and pointing to the fact that the action was actually illegal based on the, the fact the government has now been shown to have taken illegal action and uh, argue that you're entitled to compensation uh, based on, on, those, on those reasons. And you, you could also, I mean, there's so many other wrongful termination, uh, state suits, contract suits. There, there are, um, you know, breach of privacy suits that are arising across the country. There, there, there are a lot of things that are interesting relative to, to COVID-19 and employment law. But my goal, again, is, is to, to set a precedent based on the First Amendment that's going to protect children. It's going to protect businesses. If you're a business owner and you're out there and you're listening to this, or if you're, you're a family and you, you have kids, um, my goal is to, to set a, a, a a precedent that you can point to and say, you know what, you don't get to boss me around government. Like this is, this is the way the constitution works. And I, as a citizen have certain rights and I get to be the one to decide what happens to my body, not you. The personal choice is mine. And um, um, that, that's the goal with this endeavor and, and set, suing universities because they're public entities, because they're government actors would set that precedent for everyone. And that's why I'm going after them. They have already acted, they've taken actions. Um, university students make better, just generally speaking, for a number of reasons, you know, they make better uh, witnesses. There's just, there's so many procedural reasons to do this instead, but the, the outcome is the same. It protects everyone. Yep. So please feel free to support us if you can. So I want to say I was a, a tough critic on this segment. The reason being, I fully support your work and uh, yeah. I, I really... I'm happy to see that some people are doing what they can to fight and that people are using the skills that they have and, you know, trying, like I've been obsessed over this over this past year. Uh, and I, to some extent I'm using the tools I got, I've been crafting jokes. I got a whole nother 20 minutes. I mean, do I think my jokes are going to change the world? Do I know that my podcast will, I don't know, but I'm trying to do my part and, uh, Bro, stop it. Stop in Phoenix. When you come, when you're on, way, on your way back to Mexico. I was out. thinking about it. I ended up put, I ended up scheduling gigs in uh in Atlanta and also in uh uh Colorado on the way back, but I, I will have to do Phoenix. I've heard that there's a lot of dumb sluts out there and I've heard because yeah, of the hot weather they I'm stay not, I'm not going to talk to I've been married for a long time. I'm a young guy. I got married at 21. But um so I can't, I can't talk to the to that, but I I can say that um there are a lot of good-looking girls here that that are um Available. Like right in the bullet pod yeah. guys told me that they told me, uh, when they take breaks from jerking off in, uh, in porta potties, they're able to meet a bunch <laughs> of dumb sluts that live in Phoenix with porn star bodies. That's what they told me. Uh, and neither of them are that good looking. So I feel confident that I might be able to, no, I'm kidding. They're both very handsome individuals. Well, uh, 
but Rob, I, I just got to say, so I, I, I went to um, a, a law school that, that is ex- probably the most conservative um, Christian evangelical law school in the country, which is Regent University School of Law. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I, I'm going to be doing here is, is being myself as a public figure and, and just trying to, to help as much as I can. But I uh, just want to plug for them. It's a great institution. Um, I am certainly going to be swearing in the future, and, and I may have already in this, this podcast. I just want to know that, that you know the institution is great, but uh, I'm not necessarily you know representative of them or or their their positions. But uh, dude, yeah, here's what you gotta do: shave your head, take off the glasses, profanities. Just take your head, take take off, shave your head, take off the glasses, and if you say anything that you regret, just say it was me. And, you know, they'll, you'll get away with it. We got a similar yeah, face. Yeah, we can line right? up. There you go. Just, just blame it on me. All right. So yeah. in all seriousness, I, I really, uh, I appreciate these endeavors. I think the audience is going to feel a little more hopeful knowing that people are starting to figure out how we can fight back uh, beyond just listening to podcasts. Uh, yep. So Ryan, thank you. Anyone who's interested in supporting the project, it's thegavelproject.com. On that note, if you have been fired from a job or a victim of another mandate, uh, reach out the place, uh, the name handle on Twitter. Firstly, the website's the gavelproject.com. And then the handle on Twitter is Ryan underscore L underscore Heath. Uh, and reach out if, uh, you've been fired or victim of any other mandate, Ryan is the guy to talk to. He might have some resources or other ways that he might be able to assist you. Or if you're interested in supporting the cause, it's the gavelproject.com. Was that a legal plug? Did I say everything appropriately? Uh, I, I believe you did. I just, I just want to say uh, the contact information on the page is not up yet because we are finally getting our, our, our final business procedures in place to be able to do client intake. Uh, so just be patient. It should come up sometime in the next week or so. Uh, just a few matters to check off before we can do that. But I do want to start taking on clients very soon. And I want to be able to just help people generally provide resources. So please, please check out the website. That's the place, best place to, to right. get to know us. And Check back next week. Hopefully we'll have nonprofit status. We'll see what happens. And Hell yeah. So uh, really stick give. with us for a second. Let's take a couple comments. So first we'll start with B who says, thank guys. No, at the bottom to one up from the top. So thank guys soon. I can eat hot wings at TGI Fridays without giving up my medical history. And isn't that what it's all about? Being able to eat yeah. some wings. Hot wings. Love Scott it. Schultz is uh, plugging his own Twitter. That's all the way at the bottom, Mr. G Mike. Uh, and I will allow it on Twitter at Ryan the fire. Oh, you're going to create, he's telling you, you should create your own thing, Ryan the Fire. All right, let's take one more, uh, and we'll go from Josh Dean, uh, which is R-O-F-L. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Robert, that means rolling on the floor laughing. Oh, okay. He's giving us a compliment. All right, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, And now I'm going to roll into just me yelling about some random stuff, and then I'm going to re-slice this in a different order for the podcast. But thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the time. Take care, guys.